Hello and welcome back to Project 99. It is December 4th, 2020. We're almost through this year. Getting close. Getting so close. I can't wait for it to be over. Just see what the next year will bring us. <laughs> I mean, I've learned never to say can't get any worse. Right. That's yes. the worst thing you can say, so we won't say that, but here's to looking up. <clears throat> absolutely yes i cannot wait to see what the next year will bring not necessarily waiting for this one to be over just excited for what the next one might bring yes and glad that we don't have to watch the news like round the clock anymore because that was getting old and, and it's like i can't even watch it now for like 10 minutes because they repeat the same shit over and over yeah that is super annoying one of the funniest things too is it's just like since the elections since Biden won, you know, there was a little bit there where people were like, oh, I don't know, they're going to do recounts and this. But now we're all just, <laughs> we know Biden's our next president, okay? Um, Trump has just kind of become irrelevant in the media. Like, no one really cares. I mean, he kind of was irrelevant to start with, but. But yeah. they're just like, yeah, we know <laughs> that we don't have to deal with you anymore, so no problem. And I was joking. I was like, man. The media is treating Trump like women treat men they dated in college who they wish they hadn't dated. Mm -hmm. When it's like, hey, do you know so-and-so? And they're like, oh, no, I've never heard of him. I don't know who that is. You, you mean you, you must be mistaken. I've never heard that name in my life. You mean the media is treating Trump like everyone Trump was friends with who gets indicted. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know him. No, I have no idea. I've never met that person. Yeah, that's I feel that. I feel that on a personal level because that's how I feel. People bring up Trump and I'm like, who? Sorry, I don't know that name. Like. Yeah. No, thank you. Irrelevant. <clears throat> not playing into it. It was a dark time and I've moved on. <laughs> and we are going to try to move on from politics because we have literally not been able to talk about anything else for like six months because it's one news disaster after another, uh, psych news cycle after another. And uh, so we're going to break from politics today. We're going to talk about something fun. Yeah, I wanted to say, too, I was actually surprised the other day when I was at work, uh, someone mentioned to me that, you know, they knew I did a podcast. So I was like, yeah, like, let me tell you about it or whatever. And they actually downloaded it. It was uh, a friend of mine, Ted. So if you're listening, Ted, thank you. <laughs> thank you for listening. But um, what do you have for me today, Mick? Today we are going to talk about a conspiracy. Ooh, do 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 do. So many people, when I told them about the what the podcast was going to be about, they're like, please do conspiracy stuff. Because I always would talk about it among my friends and coworkers. And they're like, oh, you know, please do conspiracy stuff. Everyone which, loves a good conspiracy. Yeah, everybody loves a good conspiracy. <clears throat> conspiracies have gotten crap, though. Like, I'm going to get back to some good conspiracies. But the conspiracy we're going to talk about today is actually, like many conspiracies. True. True. Yes. And it is a part of history. Documented history so it's not a theory it's one of those things that it was be a conspiracy theory for a few years till it becomes history right yeah so this isn't actually a conspiracy theory it is history it is history but it involves a conspiracy and you know history when you go to school we talk about this all the time too school is like the indoctrination propaganda it's machine indoctrination but even a good history class is like bullet points because there's so much in history and that's what makes it so boring because History teachers try to cover so much and they just give you blah, 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 blah. And they don't get into the intrigue and the drama and the, you know, the uh, things that bring about these historical events. That's what makes it really fascinating to me <clears throat> is the cultural and the psychological things that are happening among a people at a time when an event happens. Because like 
50 years from now, people will look back at Trump and they'll be like baffled. Like, what's a what was going on? Like, but it'll be bullet points and they'll say, how could this have how could this have happened? Speaking of bullet points, too, and conspiracies, I wanted to mention this because today is uh, December 4th, which is the anniversary of the death of Fred Hampton. I don't know if you got my text last night. and I was like, look this up because every year I post about this and I never seem to get very much interaction on it because it's not a conspiracy that's well known. But it isn't a conspiracy. It is true. Um, December 4th, 1969, a man named Fred Hampton was murdered. He was killed and he was killed by the, yes, he was a Black Mm -hmm. Panther. He was killed by the FBI and the family sued and they won. I mean, it's, it's not a conspiracy. The FBI did kill him. Um, But because it was the anniversary of that, I wanted to mention it that um, today is the anniversary of Fred Hampton's death and he was killed by the FBI because he was a prominent Black Panther member. Yeah, the FBI was so rife with corruption back then. They were, they had files on anybody and everybody. Like if you were important, the FBI had a file on you. They wanted to collect dirt on you in case you got out of hand. You started, like stars today will talk about left wing stuff and it's kind of almost expected. But back then... If you were an influential Hollywood. It was radical. It was radical. And you would probably be fired from your job. And the FBI would, you know, you could be blacklisted. Like the retribution back then for speaking out was crazy. Yep. Literally got blacklisted. Yeah. For speaking out. So there's there was a whole CIA uh, program called COINTELPRO. And, uh, you know, like they they kept intelligence on everybody. One of the most surprising things I learned, too, which changed the way that I thought about a lot of things uh, in pop culture was during my history class, I learned about um, there. The, the one project I did was specifically about this photo. Our history teacher showed us a photo and she says, I want you to do research about this photo and tell me about it. And the picture I got was of Nixon shaking hands with Elvis. Mm-hmm. And I learned about this, all this bullshit. And basically what happened was that well, this is my opinion, is that Elvis was being shitty because the Beatles and everybody else were outselling his records. So he was like, you know, fuck those people, fuck my fans. And he turned to Nixon and was like, Nixon, basically, I want to suck your ass and like, you know, suck up a little bit and wanted to be like a government entity, like an informant um, for to turn in like these beatniks, to infiltrate the beatniks. And I was like, wow, so you're telling me Elvis was a fucking government sellout. And I was like so upset, but... um. But anyway, we'll get back to mixed topic. I just wanted to mention Fred Hampton because it was the anniversary of his death. So so to give a little context to this conspiracy, um, because this this event that was planned, it was actually planned, it was a fascist coup of the United States government. And like I was saying about history, it's like done in bullet points to where we don't get all of the details of things that did happen. Like, if you cover a war, you get, like, the the bare minimum of what actually happened in the war. But if something doesn't actually happen, like, this was a plot that didn't actually come to fruition. It wasn't successful. So, literally, nobody knows about it. Like, when I first heard about it, I I thought it was made up. (laughs) And then I started researching, and I'm like, oh, my God, like, this really happened. This is crazy. Because even though it wasn't successful, had it been successful... The enormity of what would have happened to the United States of America if this coup would have taken place is worth it being included in history, even though it didn't actually come to fruition. So to understand what happened and why the coup failed, I have to go back a little ways. You know, so 
human beings for all of recorded history have had, you know, tribes and kingdoms and, 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 and they eventually grow and they overtake other tribes and they merge and they become empires, right? That's the nature of human existence is to develop bigger and bigger societies that swarm in and take over other societies and become these empires. So, I mean, they, if you like, try, I try to look up a list of empires. You, there's not even a comprehensive list of every empire. Just, I, I couldn't find one. So, in the, you know, 1700, 1800, 1900s was the European empires. Before that, you have, like, the Ottoman Empire and all that stuff. But, like, the period I'm talking about is, you know, the French Empire, the Spanish Empire, the British Empire. Spreading out over the globe, taking over the world. Now, they had a lot of conflict among their empires on the little continent that is Europe. But, like, they started to spread out and... The United States was formed as a British colony. Everybody knows that. So when our country was first born, we were actually surrounded by the French Empire, which was the middle of the country. It was owned by France. Florida was owned by Spain. You know, so we were surrounded literally inside of what is now the United States by other empires. Well, and I think one of the common misconceptions is, is that when the United States was formed, that we like fled from England and came to the United States and created the United States. But that's not what happened. We were already here as a British colony. Right. And then chose to say like, no, hey, we're going to be our own entity, which surprisingly, just like talking to people, that that is a common misconception that we like fled from there. No, we were already here when we decided that we were going to be the United States. And I think that's because there were, there were mass migrations from different countries at different periods through the United States, through history, U.S. history. So we tend to think of people like fleeing the Irish potato famine and coming over like in the mid-1800s and stuff. We think of those mass migrations as people fleeing Europe for different reasons. Right. So we kind of, you know, because we have shitty history in school, you know, we were t- talking about the colonies, but, but a lot of times kids leave school thinking the colonies were like American colonies. Like they don't think that they were British-owned colonies. Right, exactly. So what happened when America was formed was that we came... Our sh- onto our shores in our birth, in our very birth, is the DNA of empire. So we had, you know, poor people who were here because they were fleeing oppression of the government or religion or whatever. But then you also had the capitalists who came here on behest of the crown at first. But then because there were just so much stuff to take, and all you had to do was kill some Indians to take it, right? So you had these the capitalists and then the commoners, which is everywhere right you always got the one percent and the 99 percent so our country was was born with this bipolar nature and it's important to understand this particular conspiracy because as we evolved as a country we had a couple in most times in the past the people at the bottom of the economic ladder weren't aware of the mechanisms that caused empires to come to be They were the victims of empire. Their lives were controlled by empire and often ended by empire, but they didn't understand the mechanisms, who was behind pulling the levers. Like that was a part of their cognizant understanding. So they were just living until somebody came in and raided their village and killed them or absorbed them into their empire. And this is what causes people to think about like the Illuminati, the idea, the concept among human beings of this elite Illuminati is really comes out of people saying there's something else that's coming in and taking over our lives but and then it's slowly come to be that we understood like the people at the top in this empire shit like they know what's going on and we don't 
So over time, like that's evolved to where even though people at the bottom don't understand like the details of the financial shit and like how bonds are working, like we might not understand all that stuff, but we know the 1% is fucking up our life. Right. Well, I mean, it's not hard to understand either, you know, when you look around and doesn't matter who's president or what party they're a part of. They're owned. They're they're all owned, and right. nothing nothing significant changes in the lives of poor people. I mean, we're all still poor, and working class people are all still working class. And no matter what happens as time goes on, the middle class is shrinking. And right. I mean, <clears throat> as working class people, you know, I used I always laugh, and I know I've said it on the show before, but I had my grandfather who passed away last year said, you know, we would talk about politics around him, especially my brother. My brother would try to talk politics with him, and he'd say, "Well, that shit's in Washington." Yeah. And he didn't give any mind to it because, I mean, he's right. It it didn't affect him at all. He lived out on a farm. Right. And the reality is, is that for for working class people, it really doesn't matter. Shit doesn't change because neither side is willing to. I mean, even now we have Joe Biden, but he's not a radical leftist. Right. He's going to be status quo. And the Senate is still majority Republican at this point. And we're probably going to have another four years of stalemate. Nothing's going to change. But so what has changed, though, is that. When the country was born, you know, people that came here, they sold themselves into indentured servitude. <clears throat> and you had, like, your your plantation owners. They were, like, the first capitalists that were here. And they, want, they got free labor. They had slaves, right? That is the capitalist dream. Free labor is the capitalist's dream. So they had that here. And then you had the industrialists, where your oil barons, your coal barons, your railroad barons, you know, all of these, uh, you know, people that oligarchs that owned entire monopolies on whatever the the industry was that was another the thing Carnegie's, i learned the fords the when we uh did our whole thing about the industrial revolution in my history class just learning about all of the when the railroads were built and things like how many people who were basically slaves you know indentured servants that were irish and chinese mm-hmm. um that basically i mean the only re- reason these people got so massively wealthy and rich is on the back of the working class absolutely and you think that just because that stuff has been going on forever you think people would realize that now like the state that america is in with the elites being rich and mm-hmm. and us on the bottom is that these people are getting rich mm-hmm. on the backs of the working class. I mean, so, it's always been that way in America. Right. But here's what happens. There's this theory in history, and I keep meaning to look up the name. For, there actually is a name for it. But, like, the average human lifespan, the longest, is probably around 90. Okay, so 90 years goes by. And whatever event that person witnessed, they can't be an eyewitness to it anymore. So history repeating itself is actually happens on about a 90-year scale. A 90-year interval so if you look back at the year that this fascist military attempted coup on the government of the united states was 90 years ago that's an extremely interesting point i never thought of it in that context so the things that led up to that were in the 1800s people here were having we talk about labor labor struggles right you had a lot of labor unions People trying to unionize coal miners, people all over the country saying like these were abusive working conditions. So they were fun. And of course, the government always supported the corporations, of course, came in, beat down labor. Um, you know, people, the whole labor movement was happening in like the mid and late 1800s. Then you also in that same time frame 
had a series of bank failures. Like people know about the depression of 1929, but what they don't know is leading up to that, like in 1893, there was a run on the banks. There was like other financial panics that happened leading up to 1929. And when those things happened, now the average person like Pap on the farm was losing his farm. Right. Or, you know, uh, had no job. Like it was actually to the point where what these elites were doing was destroying your ability to work, to have a safe work environment, to make any money to live. Well, and one point I wanted to make too, I was actually just reading today is, you know, everybody's discussing the stimulus checks. Because now that we know that Biden's getting into office, everybody's kind of expecting that they'll roll out another stimulus package. And I was reading today about people were bashing Bernie Sanders because, uh, you know, they're discussing this new stimulus package. And he said that he wasn't a fan, like he, he didn't support it. And of course, the headlines like, oh, Bernie Sanders does not support new stimulus. And it's, you know, designed to make people not like him, of course, which I don't get because I'm like, we all know he's not going to run for president again. So why y'all still just trying to destroy this man? Socialist. Yeah. But he goes on to, you know, if you read the actual article and see what he said, he's talking about how one of his biggest concerns is that a lot of companies during this pandemic put their workers at risk and resulted in people getting sick and people dying. And that one of the most important things in this whole process needs to be holding them accountable. Right. And I'm like, as much as I believe that we need to just do whatever need to do to get this passed because people need a stimulus check they need money right now people are losing their homes and i absolutely believe that but at the same time he's right we can't let corporations get away i mean if you you literally cause the the loss of life because you put people in dangerous working conditions then they need to be held responsible but it's a bogus argument i'll tell you why which one it's a bogus argument that companies need to be absolutely insulated from uh liability or that people need to have open access to free their employ- to sue their employer because if employ how are you going to prove that you got coronavirus at work if you if you you see what I'm saying there's that a, is true you understand from working but law at the same time they should be held responsible if they're not following the guidelines exactly so here's all they need to do I mean if, it's the same way that like if somebody ends up with an injured back right mm-hmm. like after you know three years of working at a place they're like wow your discs are really messed up. You might not be able to prove that it came from your employer, but if your employer has been forcing you to work in right. conditions where you're lifting things by yourself. So what is that called? Gross negligence. Right, okay. So what they could do is they could draft this bill to say that employers shall be held not liable unless they display evidence of gross negligence, such as failure to provide a safe work environment by not giving giving equipment to their people, PPE, by, you know, not enforcing rules, whatever. If, if an employee can pr- prove that they were put at risk because of gross negligence, then, okay, then they can well, sue their employer. I, and I believe that that is a problem just because just in my small circle and local environments, I see people that have been complaining like, well, this person was out of town traveling and they came back and, well, I asked for them to be tested before they came back to work and my employer refused. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then... And then people in that in that workplace end up getting sick. And it's like that employer should be held responsible because they put profits over people's lives. Yeah. I mean, it is very difficult to control your employees off property, though. Oh, absolutely. You can't control what they do, but you could say you are approved for vacation and I won't deny you that. But you either need to test negative or quarantine for 14 days before returning to work. It's that simple. It is. It is a complicated situation, but I feel like, you know, they're using that as just an excuse to stall off. 
Well, they need to get this stimulus check they rolled do. out. Well, and the other thing was too is that this this stimulus package was only approved for like a nine hundred dollars stimulus, and Bernie Sanders said that it absolutely at the minimum needed to be twelve hundred dollars, which I think even that is too low. Mm-hmm. They gave us one stimulus package. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Even another twelve hundred dollars is not going to catch anyone up on their rent for no. the past six months. This mm-hmm. is ridiculous. They need to come out and say too, and I'm sorry for landlords. I really am because I get that that is a business as well. But in a situation like this. You know what I mean? You can't just start evicting. Th- you know what I mean? Yeah. You can't just evict people and throw them out on the streets. Mm-hmm. We our, our world suffered a pandemic. Like, I'm right. sorry that you lost those profits, but that just is maybe give them a tax well, break on their property have, they taxes They need to have a safety net, too. If that's their only income is from rental properties, then if they if that's basically like saying they're out of a job. Right. That's what I'm saying. Right. Maybe they could give them some kind of tax break on their property taxes or mm-hmm. something. But like we I mean, if you're only going to give people twelve hundred dollars, <laughs> that's not enough. To pay all the right. rent that people have missed, right? So they need to they need to figure out some realistic options for people and quit dicking around and playing politics. I mean, that's another thing too is they're talking about canceling student loan debt. I understand that that's an important thing, and it's not that I don't think that would be good for the economy. But we can't focus on that right now. People right. are getting evicted from their fucking houses, right. and so that's the same situation that kind of brought about this conspiracy because in the years leading up to this there was bank panics that were actually hurting everyday people and there was also um, labor issues so the average everyday joe's life was sucking in the 1800s industrialism was great for the rich and sucky for the poor right then world war one happens now and there was a big socialist movement happening in the united states right before world war one happened but then World War I happens. It was a devastating war, glo- first global war. It was supposed to be the war to end all wars because every country was like, this shit was so bad, let's never do it again. Because I know, I always kind of said that the World War II was kind of an oxymoron because I thought World War I was the war to end all be, wars. Yes, and then was. you went ahead and did a second right. one and added the number two on the right. end. <laughs> like, so, what, so what happened after World War One was, you know, they... The European countries got together and said, listen, uh, let's not have any more wars. Okay, how do we do that? What's the main thing that causes wars? Fucking empire. Right. Everybody's trying to build an empire. The German, the Austria-Hungarian empire, okay, that they blamed the Germans. They said that the Germans were trying to expand their empire. But look what fucking Britain was doing. France, okay. So half of Africa was owned by France. You know, you got the, 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 they all had their own empires, so after World War I, when they got the League of Nations together, which was like the precursor to the United Nations, they said, we're going to stop. We have to stop the empire building. We have to, if we have an issue with, within our countries, we got to work it out around the table without going to war with each other. That's the only way we can avoid the war. Which, I mean, side note is, I won't get too much into it, but we never really stopped doing that. We just no, stopped taking them and calling the them America. public Thing. right yeah like we still invade other countries and take all our shit we just let them keep their name basically and the reason is because when you get millions upon millions upon millions of poor folks that go and bleed on the battlefield and die and they come home and they go what the fuck was i fighting for so people start asking questions so okay then that brings us up to between you know world war one was over in 1919 okay so you still have banks uncontrolled. You still got Wall Street uncontrolled. So in 1929, the Great Depression happens. Now, 
back up one second because before World War I happened, the hero of our story, whose name is General Smedley Butler, his job in the military was to go into countries where corporations wanted shit and take them over. He wrote a book called War is a Racket. And you can find copies of it. It's not hard to find a copy of it. But he basically said, um, I was a gangster for capitalism. Uh, I have this speech here somewhere. But anyway, he basically gives a big laundry list that he went into Cuba when the corporations wanted into Cuba. He went into uh, Nicaragua when they wanted into Nicaragua. You know, he's like, oh, we went in and cracked heads to open it up for corporations to go in there and get what they wanted. American so, way. That's right. So Smedley Butler made his military career out of going in and being the, the military bully. But something happened to him after he got out of the military. He was like... This was bullshit. Oh, you mean his conscience caught up with him? Yeah. I think after he got out, maybe he grew a conscience because he was like, you know, talking to all these fellow, fellow veterans and he became like a, a leader, an advocate for veterans because he was like, veterans have been used as cannon fodder. Absolutely. To make certain people rich. And that's what the book War is a Racket is about. That war benefits the rich and kills the poor. So, yeah, and I mean, and that's not just like a, I know people say that all the time, but if you look at like where we draft the most people from, we do draft people from the poorest states. Right. And West Virginia being one of them. West Virginia has a, a large majority of people that join the military because we are a poor state. We're drug infested. People don't have a lot of opportunities here. Mm-hmm. So what other options do they have is they sign just up for they the sign up for the military because they have no other choice. And the fucked up thing about that is we don't treat people in our military very well at all and i won't get in the discussion about you know people who have actually seen active duty versus people who are just on reserves and shit because i know that is a touchy subject we're not going to get into that today but i always remember speaking to my uncle bill senior who has also now been gone for two years and he was a vietnam war veteran and i look at the way that he lived Mm -hmm. and i know he had a job obviously after he came back he worked at the water department for a lot of years before he passed away um but he was a Vietnam vet. And I hear about the stories and the experiences that he went through, the things that he had to go through, let alone just being away from your family and risking your life. But then all the other traumatic shit that you have to see and go through. And I look at the way that he had to live mm-hmm. in his elderly years and how badly that his medical care was, you know, mm-hmm. that he would go to one hospital and they'd be like, no, nah, we don't care what's wrong with him. Wait until they can ship him to the VA mm-hmm. and stuff like that that he went through. And I'm just like, this country, yeah, it, it, I mean, it's disgusting that these people put their lives on the line. Right. And all they were was can if they were a means to an end. Yep, a means to an end, exactly. To make some people rich. And, and then what they just dispose of they them. They just dispose of veterans. That's what we do. And that's what every country does. But we try to put a better face on it now. We try to make it look better, but it's still the same thing. And I don't disrespect anybody who's been, my whole family's military people, but, you know, I, I wish that they would realize that, Fighting for democracy is one thing, but going over and fighting wars for profit is another thing. And Smedley Butler came to that conclusion. And, you know, he saw a lot of good soldiers being misused. And, he, and so he, he, yeah, he grew a conscience. So anyways, he was extremely popular with the veterans at this time. And um, when the Depression happened in 1929, um, Herbert Hoover was president. And the World War I veterans had been given these uh, bonds that they were promised that they wouldn't reach when they reached maturity 
which I believe it took until 1945, which is funny that that would be the end of World War II, but that's when they were supposed to get paid for these bonds plus interest. But the Depression happened, and the soldiers were like, we need the money now. Just give us the face value of the bonds. We need it now. And they marched on Washington, and they protested for a long period of time to the point they built, like, these little shanty shacks near uh, the Capitol. And they would go and protest every day to get their, uh, you know, paid for these bonds. And they were, called, they were called the Bonus Army. And Smedley Butler was extremely popular among this, these, these Bonus Army. Now, this was no small protest. There were 45,000 people that were veterans, veterans' families, and people that supported the veterans who were daily protesting outside the, the White House. And uh, Herbert Hoover was not, he, he was like with the Depression like um, the Republicans are with the stimulus. They, doesn't affect me, so affect not me. in a hurry. Right. <coughs> and so, but there was an election coming up in 1932. And, you know, he was extremely unpopular because he wasn't doing anything to help people in the depression. He, he basically thought the markets would correct themselves. And, and I, that's my belief. He just thought, you know, it'll fix itself and uh, business will pull itself up and, you know, everything will get better. Um, it'll, it'll be gone by April. <laughs> But in any event, um, that didn't happen. And so af after these protests were out there for a while, there was a decision made that they were to be removed. Typical. So they sent the current military out with bayoneted rifles and tear gas, which is worse than the tear gas we have today, to drive the protesters out. And burn their town, their shanty town. And you know what? To the Those people that went out there and did that to fellow veterans are, in my mind, un-American scum. Who the fuck are you? These people. You want to know who it was? It was General Patton. It's disgusting. One. And um, who do you think you are? I mean, just disgusting. Turning your back on people that are supposed to be. I mean, it, and I thought always in the military that. People in the military looked at other members of the military, especially veterans, as like their brothers, you know, like you you were in the position that I was in. And to just right. turn your back on that at the flip of a switch, because I mean, where is the loyalty? Where right. is the patriotism? Like, no, these are fellow Americans. I mean, that that is the thing that gets me the most. And it's why I have a hard time in current times. Respect just I, I can't immediately just respect someone because they're in the military, because the reality is people are people and I mean, we have the same argument with cops that just because you have a label on you from your career or what you've done doesn't necessarily mean you're a good person, mm -hmm. you know? And I think that same thing with veterans. And I think that, you know, I, I don't know. I just can't imagine that. At the, at the drop of a hat, you're willing to turn on people who are in the exact same position as you. Well, like I said, think about this. 90, it was you know, 90 years ago. And we had a president take the military against protesters. Against their own people, yeah. And use tear gas. That happened this 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 year. So yep, yep, it does seem like it only takes about ninety years before history repeats. Itself. History repeats, and I mean, have there been other protests where the police or the National Guard have used tear gas and drove out protesters? Yes, but think about this. Think about this. It was literally at the White House. Both of these incidences happened right at the White House in a ninety year. That's crazy. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, um, the protesters were dri driven out. And um, some people were injured, and I think uh, there were two deaths. One lady miscarried. 
the wife, one of the veterans miscarried and uh, a, a baby that was so many weeks old died uh, from gas exposure. So, um, yeah, Hoover was probably not going to get reelected after that. So along comes FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And um, he wasn't necessarily sold on giving them their bonus money either, but um, he he talked to people about the pain, economic pain they were suffering. And, um, you know, people in the comparison, it was like the Trump-Biden thing. Like Trump's really just like everything's going to go away. It is what fine. it is. It's going to be great. Everything's fine. And then you got Biden who's like, no, I know you're suffering. So um, FDR... One in a landslide. Mm-hmm. A landslide. And the capitalists were freaking the fuck out. Because they saw FDR as a socialist. He was going to bring socialism, maybe communism, to the country. And I didn't know this, but the American Legion, you know the American Legion. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, these capitalists had... I don't want to say infiltrated, but they had gone into the American Legion and um, given, Excuse me. kind of done some propaganda about labor movements and described them as communist, which was an old trick back in the 1800s, too, to call, you know, the anybody unionizing is, is communist, right? Right, of course. But they were actually using the um, American Legion veterans as strike breakers. So Smedley Butler is like, this is not what soldiers do. You know, he was going in there telling them, like, these people have a right to get paid, blah, blah, blah. So anyways, he was he was anti-capitalist at that point. But the capitalist needed somebody. Why? Because the men who are plotting this fascist takeover said to themselves, well, it's real easy to go into another country like Smedley Butler did and militarily dominate foreigners. But how do you get soldiers in your own country to turn on their neighbors? How do you do it? What's the trick to it? Yeah, it's easy. Just so, convince them they're the enemy. So what they did, uh, one of the plotters went to Italy, fascist Italy, met Mussolini, talked with Hitler, went to France, far-right movements in France, and came away with the conclusion that you needed the support of the military, a subsection of the military, not the whole military. You had to have a subsection to do a coup and then to control, basically, the populace in the aftermath. And that young men were particularly vulnerable to this kind of uh, indoctrination. So they approached Medley Butler... And the reason they went after him was because he was so popular among veterans that they're like, this is the only guy that can get these veterans to do what he's, what we need them to do. The only guy that can do it. So they went to him and they showed him this bank book with with tens of thousands of dollars, told him they had millions of dollars behind him. And, you know, Butler right away smelled, smelled a rat because why are rich people trying to get soldiers to pay soldiers to go to a convention to talk about the gold standard? None of this makes any sense. But he played them along. He was smart enough 
to kind of say no to them, but at the same time, like bleed them for more information to get more information about what they were up to. And, um, he actually sent a couple of other people that he was, that he was familiar with to go and meet with these conspirators and get, because he knew he'd need a witness. If he was going to turn these people in, he was going to have to, it couldn't just be his word against 10 super ultra wealthy rich guys like Prescott Bush of the Bush lineage, right? Um, you're going to have to have some other witnesses. So he did that. He got a guy by the name of French to go up and meet with one of the conspirators and, you know, dig himself a little deeper. So the end of all the story was Smedley Butler went to Congress and ratted out these fascist fuckers. Oh, I know. I forgot today. I actually, I wanted to wear it, but I couldn't because I had to go to work today, even though I had a sweater on all day. I'm wearing that shirt that you bought me. It's just changed the word for the better. But I, I wanted to show you the other shirt I got because on Thanksgiving, I was so thankful that I could wear my new shirt to my mother's house that said, eat the rich. Uh, but the other shirt I got with that shipment is, uh, it says, stop out, stop, stomp out fascism. And there's a picture of a boot on it, stepping on a bug that has like a Nazi symbol on it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this shit is the most American t-shirt I've ever seen in my life. Right. <laughs> so these, these guys, these American businessmen were actually quite infatuated with Nazism. And one of the individuals that, um, Mr. French met with, took him into his house and showed him an armband reminiscent of the Nazis, only it had like an eagle on it, and the eagle was superimposed with a V. Yeah. Uh, So you can go online and read all the testimony because it's fascinating. The details are fascinating. So McGuire, who was one of Jerry McGuire, which is funny that that was his name, but he was one of one of the main conduits between these rich elite and Smedley Butler. And uh, he goes and testifies before Congress and gives the story contradictory to Butler's, of course, and lies his ass off. But guess what? They got bank records, dude. They got hotel records of where you stayed. Can't fight facts. Smedley Butler got postcards. You sent him from Italy, from Germany, from France, where you went to meet with all these people. So he got busted out. Paper trail. He got busted out. Which keynote here, if you're ever in a situation uh, where you need to keep evidence because you're the guy on the right and you're afraid that, you know, someone will just lie their ass off, keep a paper trail. I always do that. I always keep a paper trail as well. And so many people... Working for a law firm, I hear a lot of cases where they're like, well, this happened and this happened because the innocent person never thinks that no one's not going to believe them because they're telling the truth. It doesn't matter. The truth doesn't matter. What matters is what you have concrete proof. So if you're ever in a situation where you are the innocent party, Mm -hmm. keep a paper trail. Mm -hmm. Anything in history will teach you that. Keep a paper trail. So there was a big congressional investigation into this plot. Um, And... There's no doubt with the details that both Smedley Butler and the other people who came out as witnesses about the plot against the businessmen, the details that they had about how they were going to get these soldiers, how they were going to make the payments, how they were going to set up this new government. I mean, it's detailed shit. These guys thought this shit out. But if it wasn't for one man who said, and he told them, you know, 
you better not be plotting anything that looks like fascism. Because I'll tell you right now, not only will I not get 500,000 men for you, I'll get 500,000 more and come and whoop your ass. <laughs> That's what Smedley Butler told these fascist motherfuckers. But guess what? None of them were ever prosecuted, of course, for plotting to overthrow the United States government. And of course, they went underground and became the corporations that, you know, are still behind the scenes today, pulling the strings on our government. But, I mean, just stop and think about what would have happened if Smedley Butler would have went along with these conspirators and rallied these veterans to, you know, actually overthrow the president. And we would have, we would have been Nazi Germany. We would have been Nazi Germany. And that's terrifying. It's a truly terrifying thought. Um, so if you ever have some time on your hands, or if you want us to do an episode on it, shoot us a text message or email or um, uh, Twitter. Yeah, you can find us on Facebook at Project 99 Podcast, or you can find us on Twitter at, uh, I think it's... Project 99 Cast. I Project think. 99 Cast, yeah. 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 But, um, yeah, shoot us a link, shoot us a, a message if you want us to do more detail on this. But you can find all the congressional testimony of the investigation that was done on this. And it's a really fascinating and hardly known chapter in American history. And I think that because we're 90 years out from it now, it seems to be repeating itself. And the fascists never give up. That's the thing you can't forget. The fascists never stop. They're always trying to build the empire. And there's always going to be people crushed under the foot of that empire unless we become aware of what's happening. That's the first step is all of us becoming aware of the people that are trying to, you know, put us down all the time. <clears throat> so I uh, hope you enjoyed that story as much as I did when I learned about it and I uh, passed it on to other people. I used to ask people after I read about Smedley Butler because he was like my hero for a long time. I mean, I know he did like a lot of shitty stuff in his early life, but the fact that he learned his lesson and came through and basically helped save America from fascism, I kind of do have to consider him a hero. And I would ask people, do you know who Smedley Butler is? <laughs> and nobody ever... This was the first time I'd knew. heard about it. No one ever knew who Smedley Butler was when I asked him. And I was like, that's fascinating to me. A man who saved our country from a, from a basically a Nazi takeover is like an unknown element in history. So yeah, pass it along and uh, we need some more Smedley Butlers. I'm wondering when some of these generals are going to come out and reveal some stuff that happened under Trump that they couldn't, you know, they were obligated to not say. And I still say a lot of this delay that's going on with Trump is because he's shredding stuff he's trying to cover his tracks because when biden gets in there he's going to have access to all the documentation everything that trump did while he was in office is going to be found out basically and i think he's been using this stall time to you know get rid of certain people to um you know try to bury some evidence i think that's part of the stall tactic i hope that's all it is i i really hope it's over but you know i won't i won't be happy until Biden is actually sworn in. <laughs> then I'll be like, okay, now it's now it's now it's over. I said that on election night, and I stand true to it now. As I, I'm not going to be, I'm my nerves aren't going to be calmed until Biden is taking the oath, mm -hmm. which I actually saw the other day. I didn't read a lot about it, but I read something about uh, he like fell or something and like broke his ankle. No, it wasn't that bad, but he was playing with his dog and he <laughs> and he sprained his ankle and he has to wear an air cast now for. That's so. funny. 
At least we have a president again who has a dog and is human. <laughs> yes. <laughs> also today too, I saw on Trump the news that Trump has a lot um, of lap dogs, mm. but they're not they're not dogs. I saw <laughs> on the news today too that one of the queen's dogs died, and I was like, everybody's commenting on it, and they were like, "Who fucking cares?" And I'm just like, "I care." It's sad. I mean, I guess she's the queen, but like everyone knows the heartbreak of losing a dog. Yeah. So I feel for it. But she might be half reptile, so maybe she doesn't care. <laughs> That's a conspiracy uh, for uh, another day. Uh, okay. <laughs> you don't know about the reptiles. I do, but okay. Uh, okay. Yeah, that was just a joke. No, that. but um, yeah, it was a dorgy. And I was like, what the fuck's a dorgy? So I looked it up and it is a dachshund corgi. And I was just like, I don't know. It was just a news story that caught my eye today because I can't help but read news stories about dogs. I actually, my brother was behind me in traffic today. He honked and I never recognized his car because he usually is in his big truck. And I looked and I was like, oh, it's my brother or whatever. And, uh. I, I was like waiting for him to call me and make fun of me because he was behind me in traffic and I literally almost like ran a stop sign because I saw this guy walking his dog and I was like, oh, dog, <laughs> it's so cute. I'm going to look at it. But yeah, no, that was it. Just the dog, the queen's dog. Felt bad about it. She used to have four. And now she's down to one. Wow. They're, she's outliving the dog. <laughs> she's, she's outliving like dirt. Yeah. <laughs> she really is. She really is. I saw a magazine with her face on it today and it said, the the face that what did it say that defined an era i'm like is it only one era yes yeah, it seems like it's 16 eras <laughs> like when is it, i'm not I'm wishing her dead but i'm just saying like come on now you know what's crazy too is all my life i know that uh the princess diana thing has always been a big deal and that was like never something that i learned a lot about but everyone in my life seemed to especially my grandmother because she was like really obsessed with um british culture and mm-hmm. british royalty and she was always obsessed with the princess diana stuff and uh, I watched a documentary the other day about, um, you know, they say that she died because the paparazzi were chasing her and she was with her boyfriend and his driver like wrecked the car or whatever. And it was a tunnel. But then all this conspiracy comes oh, out yes. about uh, how the footage from that tunnel was missing that day and how they think the queen like actually just wanted to get rid of her because it was like a messy thing. And Maybe I never knew that. Episode. I didn't even know that that was a conspiracy. So I was like super interested in that. Maybe but that's our next episode. Yeah, conspiracy of princess dies. Another thing too, I, and I'll say it now so you can remind me next time. But yeah, we should do a conspiracy about princess die. That's a really interesting one that I think a lot of people in my generation would like to hear because we grew up with like the the. I know it's stupid, but the Tybini baby that was purple and had the princess Diana rose mm-hmm. on it. That was always a thing of my childhood. Everybody mm-hmm. wanted it, mm-hmm. you know. And the other one, just because I recently did. Um, a really long speech on it is the Medicare for all thing. And a lot of the articles I found really broke down like the most common misconceptions about it. And I was like, that would be an excellent thing for us to do on the podcast. Yeah. So I think that might be another future episode that we do is just misconceptions about Medicare for all. And what are the pros and cons of it? So, Mm -hmm. I mean, not that we have to worry about it because Biden was literally like one of the only candidates that was not a supporter of Medicare for all. Mm -hmm. So we know we're not getting it anytime soon, but we'll see. We we are going to get Medicare for all one way or another eventually we will because there's no i because mean the private point, system's gonna collapse yeah exactly there's like no other answer bernie sanders it. said it all the time that right now we are in a lot of systems and a lot of different areas of government where we are a race to the bottom mm-hmm. and that's how insurance will be too so eventually we will have medicare for all it's just a matter of time i guess mm-hmm. till people literally can't even afford to go to basic doctors so mm-hmm. but it, just some of the facts that i was reading was shocking about you know 
there was a study done by Harvard where they said that, uh, because the last study that was really done about it was in like 2002. So this more recent Harvard study was talking about how they estimated that around 45,000 people die every year just from a lack of health insurance. And the amount of people that suffer due to underinsurance is like so much more than that. It's astronomical. Mm -hmm. I mean, and then you have the people who do have insurance, but they, they're literally poor because they pay for so much insurance. Right. So Michael Moore, I haven't seen it. Actually, I should have seen a long time ago, but Michael Moore's sicko. I thought it was about people not having insurance. And it's actually about people that have insurance who still go broke. Absolutely. Absolutely. So. I mean, it happens to people all the time. But what do we have for time here, tech man? All right. Well, I mean, that's a good time. Do you have anything else you want to add to this podcast, Mick? No. I mean, I really wish that we could get into the details of all of the plots that went on. But just see, I just really wanted to share this story with you guys today because I think we'll start looking back in history about 90 years ago and just start seeing what was going on back then. See so many similarities. Yeah. So we can see what's coming up around the bend. Maybe see what happened in, uh, you know, 1940. Start looking at 1940. <laughs> So we can be ready for what's going to happen next year. Well, and I know that a lot of the audience that listens to our show is on the left. And the one thing that I can say through all of this topic is that you need to be careful about the things that you inflate. Because one of the things that I see is that people on the left, some of them tend to make a huge deal about the smallest things. And it's not that I don't think that social policies are not important. But part of the problem in the Democratic Party is that we have become too obsessed with social issues Mm -hmm. and less about main core issues. Right. And when you start calling everyone a fascist, it loses its meaning. Right. So real fascists and if you're calling everybody a fascist, you're not going to see the real one that's coming up. Yes. It's like a crying wolf. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? No one's going to believe you when... When there actually is someone who's a fascist, if you've literally called everyone who you don't agree with a fascist. So the way that we speak and the message that we spread is important because Mm -hmm. everybody who interacts with you, you know, gets pushed further into their opinion based on what you say. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed recently, you know, just some statements that I've made in local news articles. And you've you've always got people that are going to recognize who you are and know that you're like on the left and you're an enemy to them because they're on the right. But I've seen more and more, surprisingly, being an election year, that people come out and say, like, you know, I don't usually agree with Juke, but in this matter, I do. And I'm like, this is a step in the direction that I was hoping to go, is that by just being consistently stating things that are fact and not stating things coming from a political point of view or emotion, that I'm getting people on the opposite side to agree with me on some things. And I was shocked today that someone who I would never... I, I dislike that person so much that I wish they wouldn't agree with me. But it's just, they, it was a it was a news article about uh, these little vaccination cards that they're going to give out to people who get the coronavirus vaccine because mm-hmm. you have to get the same type of vaccine 28 days apart. People are freaking out about it. And I'm like, listen, this is ridiculous, okay? This is no different than any other vaccination record. You know, mm-hmm. vaccines that are required so you can go to like public school and stuff. This is literally no different. And all these people, you know, want to jump up in arms and act like it's oh, such I a Oh, I was waiting deal. for, I've already heard the, the microchip thing, but I was waiting for, and I still haven't ha- heard it yet, but I'm going to hear it, is that the vaccine is the mark of the beast. You know what the mark of the beast is? Yeah, no, I've heard, I have heard that already. About so the this. mark of the beast is like, in the Bible, if you don't, if you don't have the certain mark, you won't be, they, you won't be able to do anything. And 
religious people have pulled this out of their ass They've every done time this with some vaccines. new thing not just vaccines the very first mac card that you could use to get money oh i've seen a, that too yeah it was mm-hmm. it was an owl machine it was called an owl machine because it was open all night like a fucking owl but somehow they turned the owl into some kind of mysterious satanic shit and like they said they were trying to make us go to no money no cash no paper money and then you would have to have this card and the card was the mark of the beast yeah, they do this with everything. I've, I've heard this like, argument dude, on so many fucking things. You know, days. it's craziness. I mean, and that's the thing, too, is that, like I said, you don't want to cry wolf because then you just turn people off. And I've met a lot of people who have some crazy fucking views. But then there's one thing, like today, like I said, when it was just it's just a card showing what vaccine you got. Mm-hmm. You don't have to carry it around. It's not like some government paperwork. It's just a vaccine record. Well, so that I like you know, how Obama and all of them are volunteering to take it on camera, like to get the vaccine on camera. And I'm like... Do well, you yeah. really think this convinces conspiracy people? Because they'll be like, yeah, they're probably injecting you with nothing. Right, exactly. I thought the <laughs> That's same thing. That's not going to convince It's not going to convince anyone. But I have to say that it, it I think it's a good message. It send. is a good message, but I'm saying like you're not going to convince people it's safe because you'll be like, yeah, it's probably a vitamin B shot. If probably someone is not, that far gone in conspiracy, you're, you're not, not going to win them over by taking it. You're not going to convince the crazy conspiracy theorists, but I will say that, uh, I mean, not that they all volunteering to take it makes me think like, oh yeah, I'm going to run out and get it. But I just think it does make it less scary mm-hmm. just because the media is constantly full of things that are not necessarily saying it's dangerous, but they just stoke those ideas to cause, you know, fighting between people. And it was nice to see a positive story that's like, look, you know, it's mm-hmm. just a vaccine like anything else. So I think it's a, a good thing. But I want to give a shout out to this book since when you brought it up, it reminded me of it. Um, I heard this on a, this guy on a podcast this past week. The book is called It's Worth It. How to Talk to Your Right-Wing Relatives, Friends, and Neighbors by Egberto Willis. I hope I said his name right. But he was on a podcast talking about it. And um, I'm going to get this book and read it because we say all the time that we need to talk to people across the aisle. But we're all so inflamed all the time about how we feel about shit that it's like really hard to just listen to somebody else. Even if they're saying crazy shit to just not respond and listen. It's so hard to do now. We all have like this super knee-jerk reaction to everything. And so I'm going to read this book and see if it helps me. And if I find anything good in it, I'll pass it along on one of our shows. Because we got to learn to talk to each other, man. Absolutely. I absolutely agree. Except the fascists. We don't need to talk to fascists. (laughs) Yes. I I was actually just talking to my mother-in-law tonight. And she's... uh, she is of the belief that the elections are not over yet. And I, I mean, I told her straight up, I just, I don't believe that. I think it's over. And, you know, she has every right to her opinion, but I told her, I just, I, I really don't believe that. But you know what? The rest of the evening went on with us being but in the same I, room. In defense and, of you know, some Trump supporters, I have seen a lot of them say that when they go through the end of the court cases and they go through all the recounts and if it comes out that, you know, Biden just was the winner, then then that's just how it is. So well, I have that's heard what a lot she of them say that. That's what she said, too, that if it comes out that that's not what happens, then fine. But she just doesn't want it to happen and then not have said that she but she's not going to become a it. unabomber if it doesn't happen no, her way. No, like, no, that's she, the yeah. thing that that's look, what she said was that you know if it doesn't happen it doesn't happen but if it does happen i just want to go on record to saying that i knew it was going to happen and i was like all right you can say your piece but i'm telling you straight up i think i just think it's over I, th- I think you're fucking crazy for saying that but okay that's your piece so you know it is what it is but but that's all i had today f- yeah for you mick okay if that's all you had 
That's all I had, just Smedley Butler. That's all I needed to say today, Smedley Butler. All right, well, we'll see you guys again next week. And this is Juke signing off. And this is Mick signing off.